Welcome to today's episode of Ownership Matters, a podcast for homeowners in resident-owned communities brought to you by Rock USA. I'm Paul Bradley. And I'm Mike Bullard. And listeners, we have a great guest for you today. It's another terrific cooperative leader, this time from a co-op in Durango, Colorado. That's right. John Egan serves as director of the Mountain West region for the Rock Association. The Rock Association, for those who aren't familiar, is a group of all the resident-owned communities as of this date, 304, from coast to coast, and they elect directors from each of three regions who also sit on the Rock USA Board of Directors to provide direct input from the communities that we serve. John is a leader, an organizer, a meeting facilitator, and a believer of equality and social justice. He and his wife live in Animus View MHP Cooperative in Durango, where he was instrumental in helping his community through the purchase process. Animus View is an all-ages, 120-site community that became a rock in June 2021. John was elected city councilor in Santa Fe, New Mexico, where he also served as president of the Santa Fe Lodgers Association, the Santa Fe Chamber of Commerce, Santa Fe Chapter of Scal, a restaurant club, and New Mexico North Association. As the director of transportation for Archuleta County, Colorado, he worked to make public transportation for the disabled, low-income, and working-class population more available and reliable. He led an effort to rebuild and rebrand the local bus system revenues and ridership increased. John thinks outreach and education for affordable housing and manufactured home community laws should be a priority of the Rock Association. Mike, I have to say, I think I have the uh, resume that qualifies me for joining a restaurant club. How about you? <laughs> Been to many, run zero. <laughs> John, thanks for joining us on Ownership Matters today. You are our first guest after a bit of a hiatus. Just to let our listeners know, our first producer and communications associate, Sammy Chickering, left Rock USA this summer to lead the communications department at an advocacy group across town. And, and she was instrumental in getting our podcast off the ground. And although listeners never heard her voice, guests certainly did. We're grateful for all the work that she did to make us sound good. We'll miss her, but we're thrilled for the opportunity she's capitalizing on right now. That's right, Mike. And we're really excited to welcome our new producer to Ownership Matters, Jada Regas. Jada's a New Hampshire native and joined Rock USA just a few weeks ago, and she's already making a meaningful, positive impact. So welcome, Jada, and thank you. So, John, thanks again for coming on the show. Sure. My pleasure. Good to be here. Why don't you kick it off by just telling us a little bit about yourself and your rock? I would love to. First of all, I've got to say that uh, every now and then I think about Rock, and I'm still just astonished at our good fortune at the Animus View Mobile Home Park in Durango, Colorado, which is where I live. Our park is uh, 120 units on 15 acres of land. And a couple of years ago, we got that notice that you get, and we got ours on Christmas Eve saying, hey, your park is uh, is being sold, and uh, it's going to be a, a $50 increase on uh, rent. And, and outside of that, we had no idea, no idea at all that our park was up for sale. The only time we ever found out it was uh, up for sale was when we got that rent increase notice from a new owner. So because of the law, in Colorado, which offers the opportunity to purchase, the seller had to notify us that our park was for sale and give us an opportunity to go ahead and make an offer on it. Well, I mean, we had no idea how to do that, but uh, we managed to meet and put together a board of directors 
And uh, Paul, shall I digress and go into the details of how I ended up being president of that board? Sure, John. So there we are. It's it's like January. It is cold. It is COVID. We're not inside at all because nobody wants to be inside somebody else's house. And to be perfectly honest, I just had to go to the bathroom. And so we're standing on somebody's front porch and, and I live right next door. And I said, listen, I'll be back in just a couple of minutes. Okay. <laughs> and I ran over to my house and I went to the bathroom and I came back and they said, congratulations, you're president. So, <laughs> so that's what, that's what happens when you leave a meeting. But we had just some very preliminary knowledge of rock and and thistle rock and thistle rock is our our sea uh, tap and of course sea tap is help me out paul certified technical assistance provider thank which, you very uh, much we have there's a network of of nonprofit sea taps as we affectionately call ta providers here at rock usa yeah. around the country and and uh, you're in colorado so you have thistle as your ta yeah. provider great what a what a fabulous job they did for us our deal ended up being 14 million dollars to purchase our park and without CTAP, without rock, it never would have happened. And but we were really lucky because the stars just kind of aligned for us. We had a motivated seller. We had a buyer who was competing with us who jacked the price up on us. But uh, because of rock, because of CTAP, because of uh, participation uh, from the city of Durango and La Plata County, Colorado, we were able to put together that purchase price. And voila, we bought our park. So we are now Animus View Mobile Home Park Co-op and very proud to be so. Fantastic. And in a beautiful part of a beautiful state, uh, Durango, which, John, you know firsthand, the population in migration in Colorado over the last decade or so has just been enormous, especially during the pandemic. And so housing prices have really skyrocketed. I assume that was a big part of your motivation, getting control of the community and getting control of your housing costs. Absolutely. We were facing a situation where with uh, the other company that was wanting to buy the park, we were looking at minimally that $50 increase in rent. And we knew it was going to go up above that probably another $50 in six months. And we would have probably assumed that it was going to be $50 every six months for however long that could uh, go. And we were already facing people who were feeling like they had to move. They had to get out of the park and people who'd lived there 15, 20 years, longer than much longer than I ever lived there. Mm-hmm. And um, during that winter period, when we were putting our board of directors together, we went door to door with paperwork throughout the park, explaining to people what we thought that rent increase could ultimately look like. And this was based on numbers that uh, Bissell had put together for us. And we thought, worst case scenario, it could jump $300 a month. And we had residents there, and this impressed me so much. We had residents there who said, I cannot afford that. I cannot afford it. If you raise the rent $300, I'm going to have to move. But I still think it's the right thing to do. So I'm in favor of it, which just blew my mind. I mean, that's, you know, these people are saying, hey, I'm going to have to give up my home. But I think it's the right thing to do. And I'm willing to back it anyway. So mm-hmm. I was terribly impressed. And as it turns out, we actually had an increase by the time we got done with all the financing. We had an increase of only $83 over the current rent. 
Right. And so, and one of the things that our board of directors decided from the very first day was that we were not going to lose anybody because of rent increases. If we had to, we said, if we had to chip in out of our own pockets, we're going to make sure that people get to stay in the park. And uh, happily, we have never had to do that. But, uh, and we've had people leave, but it's not because of rent. They're, they're moving, they're doing something else, you know, and I'm really proud of that. Because I think our residents really stepped up to the plate and were ready to meet whatever the challenge was. Well, they made a made a, a difficult choice, but uh, an important choice in what they did. And obviously, great leadership from the board and likely many members in the community through that process. I, I'd note for listeners, Animus View was sold or going to be sold as a part of a 90, I think 95 community portfolio. This is a portfolio that was owned by two hedge funds and sold as a single portfolio. And the only reason Animus View and, and your peers up at Sans Susi in Boulder yep. uh, had the opportunity to purchase is because Colorado has this opportunity to purchase legislation that gives you that right. Otherwise, most of the communities in that portfolio simply sold in a single day to a single buyer out of Maryland. And that statute really is what gave you that opportunity in Colorado. And I know, uh, John, you mentioned in your story that you met with the city of Durango and the county. And I know you have some public sector employment in your background or perhaps uh, some political experience. So tell our listeners a little bit about how you went about meeting with public officials. What gave you the insight and the chutzpah to go out and do that and and, uh, help your community? Uh, thank you. Yes, I do have political background. I was, uh, I, first of all, I should say I grew up in New Mexico and I joined, I became a member of the Santa Fe City Council back in the, whenever it was, the 80s, I guess it was, and served a term there and really got a lot of my political background from the mayor we had at the time, a fellow by the name of Sam Pick. And uh, he was, a wonderful mentor for me and really taught me a lot about local politics. And that was great. And then we moved, my wife and I moved to uh, Colorado and uh, I was appointed county commissioner for Archuleta County to replace a woman who'd served for many years and had to retire. So I served on the uh, county commission and then ran for city council when my commission uh, was up and I ran for city council in Pagosa Springs and served a term on that as well. And besides that, Paul, I mean, I had so many years of different organizations and groups that I had either chaired or sat on and so on. And all that experience really came to bear when uh, we started working our deal with the Animus View Mobile Home Park. It's not too surprising, really, that a lot of people don't get how important it is to have order in running meetings and to keep good minutes and to keep good uh, financial records and so on. That's where the work I had done in the past really became important because I knew what we could do and what we were not allowed to do according to Robert's Rules of Order, et cetera. And so I think that gave us some credibility, just the fact that we were doing everything in a pretty orderly way and something that, for instance, county commissioners or city councilors could look at and understand. 
And so I think they already recognized that we were serious contenders for this uh, purchase and that we had a pretty good sense of how to do it. Being well-organized, obviously, presenting yourselves as a credible organization to the city, the county, this nonprofit, and the state really sounds like it uh, was a big part of that, John. And, and also a technical assistance provider that can help you through that process and do that packaging work. Well, congratulations, really a phenomenal yeah. job organizing all of that. Thank you. I appreciate that. And the irony of all of this is that at the end of my I wasn't even president for a year, but I had been a bit of a taskmaster on getting things done and doing it in an orderly way. And if the board was running off and wanting to do things that did not fit the uh, plan that we had, I was the one who had to bring them in and say, no, we can't do it that way. We got to do it this way, et cetera, et cetera. And I thought after we actually made the purchase, I thought, you know, I've done a lot. And I wanted to step back and give other people the opportunity to be involved. And so I did not run for president for a full term. And that was a good choice. I think people really appreciated that I was not dynastic. I was more than willing to uh, give up my seat so that other people could be a part of it and feel like they did have a voice. That worked out great. We have a wonderful board of directors at this point, a lot of good volunteers in our park, and you can see the difference. You can just, uh, you know, you look around the park and you'll see, yeah, things look a little neater. Things uh, are cleaned up. Uh, people are taking pride in their property the way they never could have done and never would have done if it was owned by somebody else. And so that's been a great thing. That is something that we hear almost universally from resident-owned communities, right? That once residents know that they they are willing or they're able to stay there as long as they choose, then they can make that improvement in their own home, in their yard, in their community at large. But I think it's interesting, John, you let go of the reins locally and then stepped up almost immediately on the national scene here and became a director of the Rock Association. And for listeners who aren't familiar, the Rock Association is made up of uh, today, 304 members, each resident-owned community that with which we work. And they have a board of directors that is three members strong. John serves the Mountain West region communities. And the Rock Association has, has many roles. They sit as directors on Rock USA's board as well. And they are you know, really helping be the voice for the homeowners in the resident-owned communities that we serve. And they're help steering not only the association's work, but Rock USA's work as well. So, John, I, I'm curious if you can talk a little bit uh, about your motivation to step up and serve on the association board. Absolutely. It's real simple. I'm a big believe, believer in paying forward. If you have good fortune, you need to share that good fortune with others. And when the Rock Association, when they announced that they were looking for a new board member, I thought, well, I'm going to put in for it. And with as many people as are involved in Rock, I was just absolutely certain that somebody else would get it. But I wanted to put in for it anyway, because I believe so strongly in what Rock USA and Rock Association are doing, that I thought, if I can be a part of this, if I can help in some way, I want to do it. I was stunned when I actually got the position. I had no reason to believe I would, but um, it came around. And I am so pleased to be a part of that because I feel like I'm doing good. 
I feel like I'm doing good for others. And I've had good fortune. Our park has had good fortune. We've been lucky all the way down the line. And I wanted to, given the opportunity, I wanted to be able to help other people, other parks accomplish the same thing. And I've traveled around the country now a bit and seen other parks. And I witnessed some of the problems, some of the, I'm not going to call them problems. I'm going to call them challenges mm -hmm. that these parks have. And I know what we have accomplished. And again, I think because of my experience uh, with uh, organizations in the past, I look at it and I say, gosh, I think there's a way we can fix this. There's a way we can help people in their parks um, either purchase their parks or or continue to make improvements in their parks. And it's just a, it's an exciting opportunity uh, to, to be useful and to do good. And so, John, again, you're serving as a director, both on the association's board and Rock USA's board. And I'm wondering if you could just take a minute and talk about the biggest surprise for you in each of those or one of those, if one of them jumps out at you. Well, the first thing I would say about that, Mike, is I, even after our deal was done with uh, Animus View Mobile Home Park, I had no idea how big the Rock USA really is. I didn't have any concept of how many people are employed by Rock USA, the work that uh, the board does and so on. So that was kind of the first thing that uh, just surprised the heck out of me. And very honestly, it took me, well, several months, and I've only been on the board now about seven or eight months, but it took me several months just to begin to understand the breadth of the entire organization and the dedication of the people who work with Rock. That always impresses me so much. As you know, Paul, when we were in New Hampshire, we met with so many uh, Rock leaders from so many parks in the Northeast primarily, and you can't help but get caught up in the enthusiasm and the dedication that these leaders bring to the table. And I saw it with my own eyes. I saw people who were sharing ideas, who were discussing some of the issues that they're facing, who were getting information they can take home and make it uh, work for them. One of the other things that I know you're working on, John, and, and is your work as the liaison to the Policy and Advocacy Committee of Rock Association. Can you talk a little bit about the work that's going on there and, and what you're doing? Yep, because this is an exciting, this is another aspect of the Rock Association. We are working hard to influence members of Congress to support the price bill, I want to call it, and that may not be the right term, but basically what it is, is it's $500 million, which has been earmarked for work in primarily uh, in uh, infrastructure issues throughout the country. If we get that $500 million included in the 23 budget, that money is going to trickle down into communities, manufactured housing. We're not talking housing across the board. We're talking manufactured housing, which is where we all live. And like in our park, we know we have $600,000, I mean, minimally $600,000 worth of infrastructure work that needs to be done. And we don't have the funds for it. But if we can get that $500 million, we're going to get some piece of that and be able to start working on our infrastructure issues. So Mary O'Hara has been giving us uh, some good guidance and who in Congress we can talk to, how we can uh, help to influence them to have. Uh, 
favorable ideas about the price fund to get it included in the budget. And we have gone to three senatorial offices, two of which, by the way, are Colorado, Senator Bennett, Senator, I say we've been to Senator Hickenlooper's office. I think we actually went to Bennett's. We've had Hickenlooper make a visit in particular to Durango. In all cases, we were invited to visit with uh, Senate staff and they said, yeah, we can give you 20 minutes. Get, tell us your story. It's like the elevator story, right? 20 minutes. And we were always there at least an hour. And they were so interested in what we were talking about. So I think impressed with the dedication and the knowledge that we could bring to them. And I remember in Bennett's office, the representative, his representative, who we were talking to, had pages of notes from that uh, hour's time that we spent with her. These are kind the kind of things that we're doing that are going to have uh, some pretty powerful influence on future legislation. That's the kind of work we want to do on a local level, on a state level, on a federal level. And we want to take the story of people in manufactured housing to the people who can affect it. And I think we're really doing a good job of that. Yeah, not to sound terribly unpopular, but here again is another situation where rock leaders stepping up and speaking on behalf of themselves have a really powerful and unique voice. You know, for years, of course, Rock USA has done what we can do to represent homeowners. And always we've been dedicated to bringing co op leaders along, having co op leaders speak. But we recognize that we needed to do more. We needed to help co-op members, co-op leaders really raise up their voices much more actively in a much more organized way. And that's what you're hearing, listeners, is John tell the story of a, a guy from Durango, Colorado, arriving on Capitol Hill and meeting with Senate staffers and, and ultimately having Senator Hickenlooper, one of two U.S. senators from Colorado, visit his home and his community and uh, take up the reins here. It's hugely influential. You know, there are advocates, both for-profit, for industry, and for nonprofit advocates out there. They're a dime a dozen. But what's unique about resident-owned communities are really knowledgeable, dedicated community members that step up and speak on behalf of their communities and, and a network now of over 300 communities. And it, and it registers. It registers in a very different way than you know, another nonprofit advocate showing up. And that's why you get that 20 minute slot business. You know, yeah, we got to host these meetings, but they're 20 minutes, get them in, get them out. And sometimes you're meeting with Senate staffers that are, you know, all of 19 years old and a summer intern, you know, but uh, that's not the reception that you got, John, and and other rock leaders have gotten. And that's that should tell you something. Uh, you know, Paul, I think the difference is we're not lobbyists. We're not paid staff. We're there to tell the story because we live the story. So when I say we've got infrastructure problems, I'm not getting that from statistics. I'm getting that from what I observe with my own eyes. And I can help bring that story to people who care about it. And it really, I believe it's making a big difference. It sure is. I know it is. I can see it. And uh, this is a, a, just a really exciting and it's early in the, really the full development of Rock Association. What is something from all these meetings you've had, not necessarily with the senators themselves, but with the staffers uh, and the policymakers, 
what is sort of an overarching reaction or misconception that you run into when you're meeting with these folks that you're able to, you know, turn the table on and clarify for them. And I think that would be useful for listeners who may run, have that chance, not necessarily on Capitol Hill, like you were doing, but at city hall, at the county office building, what's a really important thing that you were able to turn the table on there? You know, that's a great question, Mike. And yeah, it doesn't all happen on Capitol Hill. What I find is that within communities, Durango, I mean, name your town, where there are mobile home parks, uh, very often staff, uh, city staff, county staff does not really get them. They don't understand what these parks are. All they know is that there's a bunch of uh, mobile homes that are in one little place and they seem to be doing okay and they don't worry about them. When we can go to them and say, listen, we're running our own towns. Each one of these parks is its own little town. And we've got the same problems you've got. When you can illustrate that to a county board or to city council, it really opens their eyes. They just don't think of it that way. They just know that there are trailers. I said the T word and I'm sorry, but there's trailers out there. Well, they look like they're doing okay. And, and so they don't worry about them. But when you, when you break it down for them and when you put it in their terms, in their parlance, in a way that they can kind of get their head around the fact that, yeah, these are little communities who run their own communities themselves. That opens eyes. That's a big, big difference. John, I want to take you to one last aspect of the Rock Association's many tentacles here. You just completed a bit of a whirlwind of some strategic planning sessions with co-op leaders at a couple of different events around the country. Uh, Mm -hmm. I was with you in New Hampshire for a statewide conference that you spoke at and uh, for which there was a large strategic planning world cafe, as it was called. But John, if you could maybe, what are your top two takeaways from your various listening sessions that you are bringing forward through the strategic planning process? What was, let me just the two top, top two things you got from all the many things you heard around the country. As you say, there's a lot of layers to that question. I think in general terms, what I can say is that people are looking for support, the kind of support that rock can offer. Sometimes people don't realize the extent of the the support that they can get through rock. And so that's, that's one thing. I don't know that we think about it being a a community thing. I think about my house and I say, well, if I got a leak in my water line, you know, that's an issue for me. But really, it's an issue for all of these parks. Everybody that I know of has those kind of issues. For instance, we know we have sewer lines that are going to have to be dug up in the next two years and replaced. These lines are from the 1960s. And they were made out of cardboard covered with tar. That doesn't work anymore. First of all, they're breaking down like crazy. Just last week, one of our residents had a leak spring up in his yard that was from his sewer line. He got that fixed. A couple of weeks later, a different leak popped up in his yard again, had to get that taken care of. So that's why I bring up infrastructure. Mm -hmm. The other thing that seems pretty important 
is, what am I trying to say? Member participation. Okay. It's like volunteerism. Every park needs more people, more residents of the parks to help out with the common stuff, cleaning up yards, getting trash out of the place, serving on boards, serving on committees. And I hear people saying, well, nobody wants to participate. And I see that as, as a growing issue. I see that as a potentially serious problem that, uh, Rock Association is going to have to face because I think it's going to affect uh, Rock USA across the board. I think in all aspects of the work that we're doing, if we don't see that participation, if we don't see people willing to step up to the plate, take their turn on the board, take their turn, you know, cleaning up the park and so on, I think that's going to catch up with us. And so we need to reinvigorate and reinstill the need for people to take not just responsibility for that little plot of land they're living on, but the entire park. It, it's theirs. And uh, somehow we need to reinforce that. John, you came here today prepared to speak. And I'm wondering if the, if you had a great answer to a question that you were sure we were going to ask and, <laughs> you know, didn't. So is, what else should we have asked you or what else would you like to talk about? Wow, that's the question I did not anticipate. Um, I think I want to go back to reinforcing this notion that our need to communicate with our residents is vitally important, that to create an environment where people want to participate and be a part of what's going on, whether it's in their park or in their community or by serving on, again, boards and committees, that's what pops up for me a lot. And I'm not sure, Mike, I'm really answering the question you asked me, but uh, I think I'm doing a great job of sidestepping it. (laughs) (laughs) You you were a politician at one point, right? (laughs) So they say. (laughs) Ouch. Ouch. There it goes. We always try to work in one zinger for every guest, uh, John, and and Mike today takes the cake. So, uh, (laughs) John, a wonderful, wonderful discussion with you. One of many discussions we've had over the last year or so, but uh, really tremendous work uh, on your behalf, as well as your association directors and others that are active in the association, as well as in your community. I just thank you so much for your leadership and for everything you're doing to make resident ownership great. And we really appreciate you on Ownership Matters today. Thank you for joining us. And listen, I just want to add one other thought. I want to say saludos, amigos. Esta buen rock USA. Es muy importante, muy importante para usted. Participate. Muchas gracias, John Egan. De nada. Well, Mike, it's people like that, John Egan, who demonstrate that kind of commitment to neighborhood and neighbors that has kept my light burning for over 30 years now. That was just terrific. You don't say. What an impressive guy, huh? I can't get over that Senator Hickenlooper visited with John at his house. I mean, I've had zero senators in my house. Oh, uh, don't feel bad, Mike. I, too, have had all of zero U.S. senators in my house as well. But, hey. There's time, right? You have met some senators, though, have you not? I walked down the street with Governor Shaheen when she was governor of New Hampshire, and uh, she's now the U.S. senator. So indeed, Mike, I have. I have shaken hands with just one myself. 
But it's so clear that co-op leaders play a very special role in the success of resident ownership, both in their communities and by connecting with other rocks and rock leaders and by lifting up their voices in the Rock USA boardroom and at the U.S. Capitol and state houses and city halls all around the country. Oh, indeed, Mike. It's an exciting time. Co-op leaders through the Rock Association and in partnership with TA providers in Rock USA Network and Rock USA itself, as well as many other partners in the ecosystem that are really, you know, coming together and creating real opportunities for co-ops, you know, for resources at a federal level and at a state level and even local level to keep these communities affordable and safe. It's really exciting to be a part of this. It sure is. Well, thanks for joining us on today's episode of Ownership Matters. Is there an uplifting story happening in your community that we should talk about in an upcoming episode? Let us know by sending us an email at ownershipmatters at rockusa.org. That's ownershipmatters at rocusa.org. We love hearing from you. Thanks, everyone. Talk soon. <laughs>